0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank, the International Leaders' Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting and the Pledge Radio in Michigan. I am Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sarduch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders' Summit Think Tank. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. Through America's Roundtable, we have the privilege of talking to principal leaders across America and with allies in nations supportive of first principal policies. During this season, we are focusing on principal leadership through the coronavirus pandemic, a deadly virus that originated from Wuhan, China. This weekend, we are delighted to have Senator Amanda Chase from the Commonwealth of Virginia. She serves on Senate committees, including the health and education, transportation, local governments, privileges, and elections. Senator Chase is known as a champion for creating greater transparency and accessibility. She has been called Senator Transparency. As a freshman, Senator Chase co-founded Virginia's Transparency Caucus. In 1992, she graduated from Virginia Tech with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business, double majoring in corporate finance and business management. And a few months ago, Senator Chase declared her run for governor, working to win the Republican nomination for the Commonwealth of Virginia's gubernatorial election in 2021. She's an advocate of strengthening the rule of law and advancing economic freedom. Welcome to you, Senator Amanda Chase.
1: Welcome, Senator Chase. Thank you for the
2: opportunity. I'm honored to be with you all today. Thank you so much.
0: You have been a great proponent of efforts to safely reopened Virginia, where the strict measures imposed by the state's governor brought the state to an economic standstill. Other states, such as Michigan, just opened its manufacturing sector, which provides jobs to 13 percent of the state's workforce. And we have been observing Sweden's strategy of encouraging social distancing and limiting gatherings of 50 or more people, and yet keeping an economy open during the COVID-19 pandemic. And as we all know, Germany's manufacturing facilities are still humming, with clear safety guidelines presented by its chancellor, Angela Merkel, a scientist herself. Senator Chase, what are your thoughts of this slow-paced, phased reopening of the Commonwealth of Virginia's economy, with certain areas like Northern Virginia facing delays? And wouldn't an, uh, an uneven opening of the state cause people in large numbers to rush or surge to a smaller, perhaps rural communities? Uh, we welcome your thoughts and ideas. What would you do as governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia?
2: Well, I am really glad you asked that question, because i I would definitely have a different track as a governor. Um, First of all, I think it's important that we educate the citizens of Virginia, give them all the information that we have available to uh, have regular press conferences to keep the citizens aware of um, the actual data that's coming through um, Virginia Department of Health. I would also say that as a governor of Virginia, I would educate people, but I would not mandate. I would not make it a class one misdemeanor to violate these recommendations. It is our job to encourage self-governance. And for those people who, you know, it's risk and reward. We do our part to educate people about the dangers or the precautions that need to be taken. And it's really um self-governance and, and and they take on certain risk and you know those who have certain comorbidities and pre existing conditions and maybe they're they're older, they, they may decide to stay in or not. Um, you know, but I think it's the role of government to educate people on the choices available to them, but ultimately it is the choice of the people You know, this—we're not serfs. We're not. We are not to be in the role. The government should not be in the role of dictating to a free society what they should and should not do in in a draconian way by implementing a class one misdemeanor. I tell you, the second thing that I would do is make sure that my that my executive orders or my policies were consistent. Um, And let me just give you an example of that. In this case, the governor of Virginia is picking winners and losers. Mm -hmm. And an example of that would be, it's okay to go to the ABC store. It's okay to go golfing. Um, it's okay to go to Lowe's and to buy flowers or to Walmart. I mean, the the parking lots are packed with people in them, and you know, there's no social distancing. Especially initially, people initially were not wearing the mask, but yet they were closing down a lot of the small businesses and especially the gyms. Um, I have friends who own gyms. I have friends who owned businesses that were deemed non-essential, including a zoo. And I said, what is the difference between a zoo that's outdoors, has acres of land to allow social distancing, and a golf course where everybody is sitting on a a golf cart? There are a lot of inconsistencies. You You can't go to church because it's illegal to have 10 or more people, but you can go get an abortion. That's okay. It's basically the government picking which businesses, which organizations are essential or not. And, and that's that's what I think is troubling. I believe that we should allow full information about the risks, fully educate the businesses, encourage them to you know um, implement cleaner uh, sanitizing, making sure that there's you know the clean cart, spraying things down, employees wearing the mask if, if that's appropriate gloves, whatever whatever the CDC guidelines are to that. But I think that businesses can take those suggestions and recommendations and and work that out to protect their employees and also to protect the customers. But the way that it's applied right right now is very inconsistent. And I will tell you this, last week when the governor came out, he said it's okay for you now to have outdoor dining, okay, at 50% capacity, but not indoor dining yet you can open retail stores up to 50% capacity the restaurants are saying well why can't we have 50% indoor capacity if you're going to allow retail to be open so there there's just a there's still a lot of inconsistencies in the executive orders and the policies our governor is set forward. That that would be a big difference. I would make sure it's all
0: consistent and makes sense. For those joining us on America's Roundtable Radio, we are joined by Senator Amanda Chase from the Commonwealth of Virginia.
1: Senator Chase, uh, 20 million U.S. jobs were lost to the coronavirus pandemic in April, and unemployment reached 14.7%. Uh, Virginia's unemployment is also at the historic high of 600,000 people. However, compared to some other states, Virginia seems to be recovering at a relatively faster pace. There was a decline in the unemployment insurance claims by 17.7% last week compared to the previous week. Most of Virginia's population inhabits northern Virginia, some 3.2 million people with many holding federal government jobs. Northern Virginia is also home to a great number of companies that are federal government contractors, and this area is expected to rebound quicker. Senator Chase, as a proponent of limited government, what policies and tools would you use as a governor to attract new businesses and spur new job creation in the Commonwealth of Virginia?
2: Well, I'm really glad you asked that question. And actually, a bill that I put forward to help attract more businesses here to Virginia um, would be lowering the corporate income tax. Um, When I proposed this bill several years ago... North Carolina had a corporate income tax of, I believe it was 2.5%, and Virginia was at 6%. I do believe that if we lower the corporate income tax from 6% to eventually the point where we phase it out, that would help attract more corporations, big businesses that employ lots of of people. Now, North Carolina, my understanding, has completely phased out their uh, corporate income tax. You know, we're competing with. Corporations and businesses along the East Coast, and it's important that we stay competitive. Now, one of the things, and you're going to hear this consistently with a lot of the policies that I recommend going forward, is that, and I'm just going to say this again: the government should not be in the role of picking win- winners and losers. And we did that this year. We did that with Amazon. You know, Virginia and Northern Virginia, we were we won one of the contracts for Amazon. And we gave millions of dollars, which should have gone towards basic infrastructure, our roads, our schools. That's taxpayer money that Mm -hmm. is basically just given to a business that the Commonwealth of Virginia has chosen to be a winner. And I think that programs like that and others in which the government is picking in winners and losers, that policy needs to come to an end. So um, I will make sure as the next governor of Virginia that the policies that I put in place help Virginians to thrive and that it's it's equitable. Um, One of the bills that I passed and had signed into law was a bill that created a pilot to reduce red tape um, many businesses complain of getting permits and and fees and and all this red tape they actually have to hire additional people in order just to ensure that they're compliant and and don't incur fees by not you know, especially under the Obama administration you know, whenever all these fees and schedules and extra hoops that you had to jump through as a small business owner were in place under this pilot program, basically the way it serves is uh, for every regulation you introduced, you have to figure out two to get rid of. Um, business owners need re- less red tape, not more. Um, I've talked to many businesses, um, including, you know, we, we actually own a landscaping um, and leaf removal service. You can see a difference in who is governing your, your locality, your state, and the U.S., those policies are greatly impacted by who's governing, and and I think it's important that as the next governor of Virginia, that that with every policy that is put forward, it is to have less government, less taxes, stop stop seeing businesses to death, stop increasing taxes. Um, I hate to say it, but even in the General Assembly, even Republicans. You know, as we're voting on on different taxes by locality, they're voting for these taxes. I voted against every single tax or fee increase that has come before me to vote on. As a governor, I will also implement that same strategy that it's important that if we're going to truly help small business, that we do everything that we can to keep the cost of doing business in Virginia.
1: Right. And as we are looking forward to reduce reliance on China and have local supply chains available, it is going to be very important to have friendly, I mean, conducive to business and small business regulation and reduced taxes in Virginia.
2: Well, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Um, I think people have really, really seen how dependent we are in our supply chain on China. And um, I noticed with the whole coronavirus, I'm, I'm a little more sensitive whenever I'm buying products to make sure that if I can buy something made in America as opposed to other countries. I mean, we, I know my grandparents used to emphasize that when I was a kid, they would always talk about the importance of, of buying products that are made in America. It's hard to find right. goods and services that are actually made in America. And I think this has really been a wake up call for Americans to say, you know, we need to support. It's not just about the bottom line and cost and value is important. We do need to support our own and where we can. Uh, We need to look at bringing more manufacturing back here to the States. Um, I have friends who have taking their, their business overseas just so they can survive. You know, we're competing internationally now. Right. And um, we we need to be competitive internationally. And that's why I think it's so important to continue with policies like right to work, those types of policies. Um, I know that with the dim- the new majority here in Virginia, they're looking to increase the cost of doing business by increasing minimum wage, claiming that this is a living wage that we need to increase. This is not a living wage. This is meant to be a stepping stone for and and give businesses the opportunity to hire entry-level workers and allow them, especially if they're inexperienced, to gain the skill, the experience, use it as a stepping stone as opposed to a living wage. I just, every time I hear the word living wage, I'm like, that's not what that's intended to be. And um, if you actually look at what most businesses are paying, they're paying above the minimum wage anyway, um, especially for experience and education. So um, I think that's a a real misnomer. um, Whenever the other side of the aisle wants to talk about really helping workers, I think it's going to only increase the cost of doing business and we're going to see inflation. The cost of everything is going to go up because
1: that cost, when you increase the cost of doing business, it's going to be passed right onto the consumer. Mm, that's that's so, correct. Right. And also low skilled uh, workers are going to be just uh, pushed out, basically, uh, because of the minimum wage. That's right. Uh, Senator Chase, uh, Virginia is one of 44 states, including Michigan, that have the right to bear arms embedded in their own constitutions. Virginia's right to bear arms has a very Similar language to the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and it says, I quote, that a well regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state. Therefore, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, unquote. With Democrats winning both houses of the General Assembly in the last elections, They are now controlling the legislature and governorship of the Commonwealth of Virginia for the first time since 1993. This development has had a major impact on the Second Amendment right, with Governor Northam signing into law a number of gun control measures recently that will increase background checks, limit handgun purchases, And establish a so called red flag law. Senator Chase, we would appreciate if you would share with our listeners about the most recent status with the enforcement of the Second Amendment in Virginia. Sure. So that's a really good question. I do want to begin by saying I have never, in the
2: five years I have been a state senator, voted for any restriction on a law-abiding citizen's ability to protect themselves. This new majority is trying to go after a law-abiding citizens. That's what they're doing. It's an all-out attack on the Second Amendment right to protect yourself. You know, we need to go after the criminals through Project Exile. We need to make sure that the bad guys aren't getting the guns. Yet in Virginia, we have passed one gun. Um, and I did not support these. Uh, I will tell you that most Republicans did not support this legislation. Um, but we have now passed, and all these bills will go, have been uh, signed into law now. They will go into effect July 1. They have not gone into effect yet. And so um, I'm very concerned about what's going to happen going forward once that enforcement piece goes into place. But let's just talk about some of those bills. One gun a month, uh, universal background checks red flag laws which deny everyday ordinary citizens of due process um no longer will you be able to um take online classes and um especially in some of the rural areas i mean it's it's becoming more expensive for people to equip and train on how to exercise the second amendment and how to be and, and to be able to protect themselves it's going to be more expensive and more cumbersome Um, Now, localities are also going to be able to create gun-free zones, meaning if you go to a fair, if you go to a festival, now the localities will be able to create a scenario where law-abiding citizens are like fish in a barrel, and any criminal who has malintent can enter that, that fair and know that no one there that's a the law-abiding citizen is going to be carrying, and they're going to... We're looking... We're creating... This This new majority is creating a, a situation in which law-abiding citizens are disarmed and unable to protect themselves. The bad guys will always have the guns. They don't follow the law, I assure you. They are not checking on July 1 to find out which new gun laws went into effect so they could follow them. No, these are for law-abiding citizens... It's the law-abiding citizens that this new majority is hurting. And um, at the same time, during COVID, the new majority is releasing violent offenders into the street saying, uh, this is just insane here. They're saying we need, because of COVID, we don't want all of our prisoners who um who are in you know right on top of each other pretty much, we're going to release some of them initially, we were told they were nonviolent offenders, but I will tell you this week alone, I've had to write three letters to the parole board because three of the people they were letting go had murdered people mm. um, and one of them was a close friend of mine, so this is insanity at its finest um whenever you are more concerned this like this new majority. Their policies are creating situations in which they are esteeming and holding in higher regard criminals than they are law-abiding citizens. And they are also giving driver's license, driver's privileges cards to people who are not here legally. Um, and, and I will tell you that the driver's license looks very similar to that of a law-abiding citizen. So who's to say they can't even go and vote, fill out a provisional ballot, because a typical volunteer at a polling location is not going to be able to quickly look and, and check to see if this person is legitimate or not. So this new majority, it really makes me question, do they love Virginia? Do they love America? Are they trying to destroy us from the inside out? Because that's exactly what their policies are doing it's an attack on the second amendment it's attack on the first amendment they are um, it's an attack on our small businesses it's an attack on life and we haven't even talked talked about you know them setting forward policies that kill babies third term we're talking about third trimester abortions this is outright infanticide and you have a current governor right now who is a pediatric neurologist who who takes an oath to do no harm and yet this governor is saying it's okay to kill a baby in the third trimester i mean that's just insane i don't even understand the mentality of anyone that thinks that that would be an acceptable policy and um you know i have people on all all americans republicans democrats and independent saying what is going on with this governor. They're saying this is failed leadership. We have never in the history of Virginia seen a governor with this lack of discernment and for him to leave, they are looking for someone to uh, to run for office to take his place. You know, back in February when I was in office, I announced I was running for governor of Virginia on President's Day back in February. And um, I just didn't want people to leave. They were people were talking about moving out of Virginia mm-hmm. because they were not going. They were concerned. They had all these guns. They didn't want to become a felon overnight because of the governor and his laws that he was pushing. He and the new majority. So um, I announced I was going to run for governor and said, "Don't move yet. Right. <laughs> Let's try to take our state back." You know, we we, we this is our last and final. Ditch effort, so uh, we we can't give up. And and they know me. Um, I'm not going to back down. I'm I'm not politically correct. I'm a fighter for the people, and they know that I will be a voice for them. Um, I'm unwavering. I I know, and they know. Um, I have a a history that they can count on that that I will stand up and speak on behalf of life. I will speak on behalf of the Constitution. I will use that as my plumb line. For any policy that, that goes forward, and they know that whenever I get in office, if I have to use executive orders to do it, I'll do it to reverse the infringement on our Constitution, just like Terry McAuliffe started with taking away our gun rights with Executive Order 50 and prohibiting Um, to have guns in our state buildings, I'm going to use executive orders to
1: restore our our rightly held constitutional rights. We truly appreciate your leadership, your principled leadership. And there's so much work that needs to be done in reversing policies that have been bad. We have friends that are thinking about moving away, moving out of Virginia. And this is becoming like What's happening to the United States basically with immigrants coming from other countries where they are oppressed, where they don't have freedom of speech, where don't don't have freedom of the media, a freedom to practice religion, they're coming to the United States and now we're seeing people leaving Virginia for the same reason. Yeah, it really well, shows you're exactly right.
0: Yeah, it really shows the importance of, of strengthening the rule of law, affirming the US constitution and advancing economic opportunity for all. And it really it seems that over the years we've seen this erosion of the rule of law, how certain institutions have, have taken advantage of of individual citizens, have uh, uh, really discarded what we would uphold as the rule of law. And uh, we truly commend your efforts in advancing the importance of transparency. And that's something that is so important, the transparency and accountability of government institutions. And I think that also when there is greater sunlight in these areas, there is less chance for mischief and uh, also... Uh, whether it be uh, the abuse of power or the misuse of taxpayer funds, and also what we would consider is just the erosion of the rule of law in general.
2: Yes, you're exactly right, and and I think that's what I remember standing on the floor of the Senate, and I really had not planned on expressing these sentiments, but I could not get over this new majority, I do believe that the socialist agenda has taken over the Democratic Party. And that was very, very clear this year. You know, in Virginia, these bills are nothing new. And we've seen them for over a decade, maybe even longer. But we've always had the checks and balances to keep those bills from passing. You know, when Bloomberg uh, threw all his money into Virginia to influence our election, uh, which, by the way, I put in a constitutional amendment that said, That should not be legal. Um, Money outside of Virginia has no place influencing our elections, but it does. But it's unfortunate what we're seeing right now in Virginia. We have to put an end to it. We have to apply the rule of law. And it just seems like it's only Republicans that's important to them. I hear from Democrats saying, you know, this is the living Constitution. and, And that is basically a code word for we're going to do whatever we want to do, whether it fits the Constitution or not. Um, But going back to what I said earlier, I called out the Democratic Party and called them traitors to the United States Constitution and the Virginia Constitution and was rebuked by the Democratic Majority Leader, Janet Howell, um, and cited Rule 52 on me, which I quickly replied and said, you are placing more gravitas On a Senate rule that you and your cohorts put together years ago, then you are the US Constitution and the Virginia Constitution and called her out. You know, that's the problem here. We believe that the rule of law is important. The Constitution, it's the foundation, it's the plumb line that we go by. I mean there are different policies that will come and go but the constitution is the foundation of all of our rights and it's just really a non-negotiable um and should be a non-negotiable whether you're a republican or a democrat. Those that's non-negotiable the constitution. Those are our American innate god-given
0: rights, level right. On America's Roundtable, we have been honored uh, to be joined by Senator Amanda Chase. Uh, she is a state senator from the Commonwealth of Virginia and a few months ago, Senator Chase declared her run for governor working to win the Republican nomination for the Commonwealth of Virginia's gubernatorial election in 2021. Senator Chase, we thank you so much for your leadership and uh, truly honored uh, by your presence and your engagement here on America's Roundtable. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Senator Chase.
2: Thank you for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. God bless.
0: I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sertorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. Visit our website, iLeadersummit.org. Follow us on Twitter, Summit and America's RT. On Facebook, International Leaders Summit and America's Roundtable. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable.